morning and welcome to Excel Church. My name is Pastor Alicia and I'm so glad that you are able to join us on this morning. Have you ever been given or received a puppy for a Christmas present? I'm sure you've seen it on all of the TV commercials and all of the holiday movies. A super cute, tiny, cuddly fuzzball. You're usually wearing a bright, red bow around their neck, and it either comes bounding around the corner or peeks its head out of a box as soon as the kids or that special someone lifts that loosely fitting lid. You can probably feel the warm, fuzzy feelings right now, even as we are talking about it. Or if you're those people who are thinking never, ever, ever, maybe not. But if you've ever actually been involved in one of these Christmas morning puppy gifts, you know what it's like to try to put a puppy in a box. That little bundle of love and joy, we won't mention the dog hair and the accidents and all the rest that goes with it, but it just doesn't want to be contained in a box. You certainly can't wrap him up the week before Christmas and stick him in a box under the tree. You would have to work to keep him hidden, probably somewhere even outside of the house. Then you would have to wait until exactly one minute before those kids came down the stairs to drop that doggy into the box. And you probably would even have to bribe him with a treat or a toy to keep him occupied for a few seconds so you could pop the lid on and rush him into the hands of his new best friend. You see, a dog is just plain uncontainable in a box. Somebody say a dog is uncontainable in a box. It's gonna have to come out. And when it comes out, it's going to lick everyone around him, right? He's going to be excited. And then the people that receive the puppy aren't going to be able to keep it to themselves either. They're going to pass that little pup around to everyone in the house. And they're not going to stop there. They're going to carry it outside. And if they're able to, they're going to show their neighbors. They're going to drive it over to their relative's house or their friend's house if we're not in the middle of a pandemic. But they want to show this little adorable ball of fur with everyone they can. They'll probably get on Snapchat, Instagram, something, right? And then those people are going to want to grab their husband, their kids, their significant other and share this happiness around their screen as well. Joy is a lot like puppies. Fortunately, it's not as hairy, <laughs> doesn't make quite as much of a mess, but joy is boundless and uncontainable. Somebody say joy is boundless and uncontainable. Joy overflows. And when you experience joy, you want to share it with someone else or as many people as you can. Joy bubbles over and touches everyone it comes into contact with. And joy is what we are celebrating on this third Sunday of Advent. 
And if you've been journeying with us for the past few weeks towards Christmas, you know that we've been celebrating Advent. So as a quick recap, the word Advent just means coming or arrival. And the season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It is a season that links the past, the present, and the future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ's coming, while at the same time looking forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for us as his people. During Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. And each week, we are focusing on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Through these traits, we are learning how we can rediscover Christmas despite the challenges, despite the hardships, the pains, and difficulties we might be experiencing because Christ has come to be God with us. We can experience joy no matter what discouragement we may be going through. So stay tuned to explore and learn a little bit more. tells the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were parents of John the Baptist, who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. Zechariah was a priest who received a visit from an angel that told him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. That's from Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. The catch was that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Elizabeth was beyond childbearing years, and the couple had never been able to have kids. So besides the shock from probably talking to an angel, Zechariah couldn't get over the fact that it was possible for his wife to have a baby. But somebody say, with God, all things are possible. 
And as a result, his voice was taken away until the baby was born. But today, let's look a little closer at Elizabeth because in this story of rediscovering Christmas, rediscovering joy, she deeply experienced joy in the midst of the miraculous events that she found herself suddenly in the middle of. And really, to understand Elizabeth's joy, you have to understand a little bit about her pain. You see, for the ancient Jews, children were a tremendous blessing. Psalms 127 tells us children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5. Children allowed a family to pass on its name and heritage. They provided more hands to handle the daily task of life or to expand their ability to forge a livelihood through their trade or craft. Most importantly, children were viewed as a gift from God and a sign of God's favor. So to be childless was a source of great frustration, sorrow, and yes, shame. And Elizabeth would have known this despair for years. She most likely would have known this for many years because she would have married Zachariah when she was a young teenager, according to their culture. And the couple would have, I'm imagining, hoped to have children right away. Just think about it. Elizabeth probably would have imagined what it would be like to have a home filled with kids. She might have dreamed of holding her own baby. She might have even made lists of names in her mind, drawing from the family names that would be passed traditionally down the family lines. At first, maybe Elizabeth might have dismissed the lack of pregnancy, and maybe she might have thought to herself, no problem, this just isn't the right time yet. But as time went on, if she was unable to conceive, or maybe we don't know. Maybe she conceived and then experienced a loss in the pregnancy. Whatever the case may be, we know that she was without child. So think about that for a second. Think about the sorrow of seeing maybe her friends, family members have children and her not being able to do the same. They may have offered condolences to her, encouragement to her. You know how we are when we try to encourage those we love. They may have said, that's okay, Elizabeth, your time is coming. Your time is coming. And then the time for her to have children came and pretty much went. We don't know how long, but we know gradually, year after year, Elizabeth's hope would have had to slowly die. So 
this was something that as you put it into context, the terms of something that she was dealing with, the depth of her sorrow, the depth of her suffering, the depth of her pain. And I don't know where you are this morning. And maybe for you, it's not the longing of a child. And maybe for you, it's something different that you have been hoping for, hoping and and looking forward to and dreaming until the dream just stopped even seeming like a possibility for you. Maybe like Elizabeth, you had had some, some experiences where you thought maybe this is going to be my time. Maybe this is where it's going to come to pass, but then yet and still, it didn't come to pass. It didn't materialize for you. At some point, the social stigma would have stuck in. Barren, they called her. It became a shameful and permanent mark. Elizabeth would have grieved over this, the loss of being a mother. She would have accepted this loss of that status that came in her culture, but she would have never been considered as worthy or as esteemed as other men in her culture. So we imagine she would have accepted this as her fate, a failure in the eyes of her society. Still, she must have known some happiness as well and would have been deeply involved in her community life, especially since Zachariah was a priest. And though she carried her emotional burden beneath the surface, she and Zachariah remained faithful to God. See, that's the key. Somebody say, remain faithful to God. We know this because Luke described them like this. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly in Luke chapter one, verse six. This is how they plan to live out the rest of their old age, serving God and the people around them. See, even though the thing that she would have desired most did not materialize, she did not allow that to hinder her love for God. The, the Bible tells us she served God. And see, this is a takeaway for us. This is a side note for us because we cannot allow the things that we have deeply desired, that we have not yet seen materialize, cause us to lose our zeal and our love for the Lord. And then God came. Somebody say, and then God came. And then God showed up. Hmm. On an ordinary day, with Zachariah at work in the temple, the angel Gabriel shows up huh, out of the blue with that miraculous message. Zachariah couldn't even tell his wife what the angel had said. He would have had to write it out. If Elizabeth could read or use signs or gestures, to give his wife this amazing news. <laughs> Elizabeth must have thought she was getting the wrong message at first. 
it would probably have seemed too good to be true. Have you ever been there where you've been waiting for so long and when it finally happens, you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? Hope must have kicked in her heart like the thump of a baby in the womb. Or maybe she was thinking, can I even allow myself to go here? Because she opened her heart to the possibility after hoping and waiting and praying for so long only to be let down again and again and again. From what we can tell from Luke's account, it seems Elizabeth had a much easier time of accepting this miraculous news than her husband. And soon she was pregnant, saying the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Luke chapter 1, verse 25. What's curious is that Luke also told us that Elizabeth spent the first five months of her pregnancy in seclusion. Now, there's no way for us to know exactly why. Maybe she knew no one would believe her news until she was definitely showing. Or maybe she had been there before and was afraid that this pregnancy might be lost. And so maybe she couldn't bear going through that loss and shame publicly. Maybe this was her way of sharing her husband's silence as they lived daily through a miracle unfolding before their eyes. Or maybe she was a little bit like me because when I see that God is at work, I will stow away and I will protect the thing that God is doing in my life so that the enemy doesn't have a chance to creep in through the naysayers, the haters, the people who want to speak ill against what the Lord is doing in your life. What we do know is that in her sixth month of pregnancy, Elizabeth experienced a deep encounter with joy brought by the coming Messiah, whose human life had just sprung into being in Mary's womb. Now, young Mary left her home shortly after her own angelic visit and came to stay with her cousin, Elizabeth, for three months. As soon as she arrived, Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 41. With a sudden end to her silence and seclusion, Elizabeth's joy overflowed and she greeted Mary with a beautiful and insightful blessing. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. She said in Luke chapter 1, verses 42 through 45. The puppy was out of the box now. Joy was overflowing. And true to its nature, 
joy was contagious. Somebody say joy was contagious. Mary burst into her own song of praise and thanksgiving as she gave words to the miracle happening through her. And finally, she was understood and believed and affirmed. Without Mary even having to explain, Elizabeth knew and gave voice to exactly what was going on. Isn't that something? She didn't even have to say a word. Maybe God had revealed this to her earlier. Maybe God opened her eyes on the spot as her own miracle son, John, recognized the miracle son of God, Jesus, within Mary. But more than anyone else in the world was able to do so, these two women, they understood each other and shared a joy that could no longer be contained. No matter how difficult the circumstances they were coming out of and still facing ahead, already Emmanuel, God with us, was unleashing joy on earth. And already his joy began rippling outward. Somebody say his joy ripples outward. When Elizabeth gave birth to John three months later, the joy of her miracle spread through her village and her family. The Bible tells us her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. Luke chapter one, verse 57. Perhaps there is no joy greater than that of a mother holding her newborn child. For Elizabeth, the joy must have been especially overwhelming. She was experiencing a miracle. And it was a miracle that healed a lifetime of hurt, pain, disrespect, and shame. See, when God brings forth that miracle in your life, for whatever that area is that has caused you so much hurt and so much pain and so much shame, it will heal a lifetime, a lifetime of those feelings and emotions. And it is only the beginning. Somebody say, it's only the beginning. It was only the beginning of the miracles that Elizabeth would begin to witness in her lifetime. And what God is getting ready to do in our lives, we have to believe it is happening by faith in spite of every difficulty, every setback that we have faced. And he must be the source of our joy. Somebody say, Jesus is the source of our joy. What would you and I give to know such joy, to see the scars and the shame of our life washed away so dramatically. Most likely, we won't see it happen through such an obvious miracle as Elizabeth experienced, but the joy she experienced is available to us. This is the joy brought into our world by Jesus he is God with us. And though we are living long past his time on earth, his life and his joy are still available to
to us now. The apostle Peter wrote, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Somebody say, an inexpressible and glorious joy. This is the stuff that runs much deeper than happiness. We love to be happy. We love to feel good. And happiness comes and goes depending on the circumstances around us that change by the hour, the minute. Happiness can come from so many things. But how many of you know that joy, <laughs> the joy that God brings to us is everlasting? These are, these, the, the joy may include happiness, but it runs much deeper. It permeates our souls. In our lives, the stuff of joy looks like the birth of our child, our wedding day, being declared free of cancer for good, a loved one coming out of a coma, with no brain damage, us surviving an, a global pandemic, Joy is rooted in gratitude, meaning, and hope fulfilled, especially when it is based in relationship with our creator. Joy comes from God with us. Jesus is the source of our joy. Somebody say, Jesus is the source of our joy. Peter called it an inexpressible and glorious joy that is part of the inheritance we are receiving in Christ. With his life and the promise of eternal life beyond this world, we find the deep kind of joy that fills us no matter the pain that we still face on earth. As Jesus explained to his disciples about his coming, death and resurrection, so with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. John 16, 22. As we turn our eyes expectantly to Jesus in this Advent season, and as we walk with him beyond toward the day when he will come again and fulfill his healing work, we can experience his joy in the process. And we can know with confidence, somebody say with confidence, that an even greater unending joy awaits us one day. One day we will receive it in full. Yet even now we find hope and joy in what Jesus has done and what we know he will faithfully do in the future. And like Nehemiah of the Old Testament, the Jewish leader, who faced great odds in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. We can experience the truth that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8, 10. 
Somebody say joy defies our circumstances. Joy defies our circumstances. We compared happiness and joy a little bit ago, but if there's one defining characteristic of joy that I hope you take away from our time together this morning, it is this. Joy defies our circumstances. So we said happiness, it comes and goes with positive events or experiences, but joy flows deep even in the face of challenge, hardship, or suffering. Joy is drawn from Jesus. Joy draws from the big picture beyond the immediate pain. James famously said it best right at the beginning of his book of the Bible. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know where that came from? James chapter one, verses two through four. Joy understands that there is more than meets the eye, that God is at work always, even in the tough stuff of life, and that eventually God will make everything right and healed and whole, including us. Because of that, we can experience joy in the here and now, no matter how bad the here and now looks and feels. Sure, there's a process involved, and that's part of the point. As we continue to practice opening our hearts to God's spirit, immersing ourselves in his word, and aligning our thinking and perspectives to his ways, we experience his spirit working within us, bringing us clarity, understanding, and strength to trust and see and act in the joy he provides. What are the circumstances that you are facing right now? Go ahead, put it in the comment. What are some of the things that you're facing right now as we journey towards Christmas? What are the situations that are stealing your joy or the hurts where pain seems to overrule? And I don't mean to make light of what you're going through. Because I know the pain is real for us all. But I can encourage you to take a look from another angle. Can I encourage you to ask God to give you another view, to show you his big picture? You may not experience a miracle as clear as Elizabeth's, but in Advent, and in Christmas, there is a miracle for us all. The miracle of God come to earth to be with us, to heal us, to forgive us, to redeem us, and to restore all our pain, to turn it into good. This is a cause for joy, even in our darkest days. This was the message of the angel long ago, announcing the arrival of Christ to the terrified shepherds outside of Bethlehem that we talked about. 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Jesus came to be God with us. It brings us joy no matter what we are facing. Last thing I want to share with you before we close today, I'd like to look at one more aspect of joy that we can apply as we continue continue our Advent observance. And that is the fact that joy can be a choice. Somebody say joy is a choice. Joy can be an action. We've talked about Mary and we've talked about how today she spent time with Elizabeth. Now remember when Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth was overcome with joy, which spread to Mary. When it did, the beginning of Mary's expression went like this. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 48. These are important words with the key word being rejoice. Somebody say rejoice. It's the active form of the joy, the verb. It's the active form of joy, the verb. And this is Mary choosing joy and the role she had been given by God. She didn't have to. She didn't have to, but she chose joy. Makes me think of those movies where um, there'd be some kind of dangerous mission and they would ask for some kind of volunteer ridiculously slow because it would be require you to just be brave or crazy to put yourself out on the line. And then you've seen the movies where they ask for the volunteer to step forward. But what happens is no one steps forward, but everyone else steps back, leaving that main character standing in the center, wondering, well, wait a second. I didn't exactly volunteer, but here I am standing front and center. You know, Mary could have looked at her situation a little bit like that. She didn't ask to be the mother of God's son. If she had been asked, she might have stepped backward. But yet, in Mary's words, we see her making a choice. We see her response. She rejoices. She chooses joy. She focuses on the big picture and embraces her difficult role. In a similar way, in our own situations, in our own season, we can do the same. We can choose joy. We can rejoice. We can embrace the miracle of God and align our vision with the work he is doing in and through us. Somebody say, he's doing something through me. The Bible is filled with verses exhorting and encouraging us to rejoice. Just know that God is going to bring beauty for the ashes. He's going to bring something miraculous from this pain. 
probably because we need so many reminders. We will see this over and over in the scripture. Philippians 4, 4 tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Romans 12, 12 offers rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Somebody say, keep on praying. These are only the beginning, but the message and the takeaway is the same. We have reason for joy because God is with us and we can choose to rediscover it. Friends, let's choose to make this a season of joy. Let's rejoice as we figuratively await the arrival of Christ and let's celebrate his birth with joy. God is with us. And so joy is with us. A joy that flows deep within our spirits and outward because our King, our Savior is with us, always loving, always working, even in the midst of any hardship we will face. Let's end with Psalm chapter five, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. <laughs>